Okay, welcome to another Moderator Prep Source Review. My name is Thane Colmorgan. This is for a conversation between Bill Gertz and Victor Xi on uh, U.S. policy towards China. Uh, so this last prep video, I'll basically go over the different national security viewpoints uh, from the perspective of the Chinese. So these are basically dif different schools of thought within China on how uh, they should set their uh, national security policy or their, whatever their foreign policy, however you want to call it. So uh, there are basically seven major uh, schools of thought, uh, and they are nativism, realism, major power, uh, Asia first, uh, global south, selective, multilateralism, and globalism. Uh, currently, right now, the, the, the center of thought, really like the dominant uh, set of thinking in China, uh, I would say revolves around the realism school. Uh, and then beyond that, uh, with the exception of globalism, there are sort of bits and pieces that are taken from the other schools really to serve, in my opinion, uh, realism's interests. Uh, but realism's the center and they borrow as needed from the others, uh, again, without, without uh, really uh, thinking much about globalism. So I'll just run through these just to give a quick idea of what they all are. Uh, but basically, nativism, or excuse me, nativism is a collection of populist, uh, nationalist, and Marxist ways of thinking. Uh, so as the term kind of alludes to, it's really focused on China for its own sake. And it basically thinks that opening up to the rest of the world uh, to trade or to the culture of the rest of the world uh, will corrupt Chinese and socialist culture and ultimately plays into the hand of Western capitalist. So they're pretty wary of it. They don't really want to open up uh, to the rest of the world and they basically want to close themselves off to prevent their country from being uh, corrupted and taken over. Um, if you would, uh, if you watch the uh, historical background part of this series of uh, prep sources, I think that'll kind of make sense uh, given the uh, 19th century experience that China had, but that's, that's basically where that's coming from. Okay. Th the next one is realism and uh, realism is a school that has kind of adherence all over the world. But uh, we also have a, a realist school here in the United States. But the, the key thing with realism is that they basically see the international stage as uh, as an anarchy. There's no higher authority uh, or sort of like settling body. I mean, there's obviously some that they try to do that, like the UN and all that. But fundamentally, the belief of the realists is like, you know, it's an unstable system. Everyone has their own self-interest and they're going to act that way, or at least they should. Um, that's their primary motivating features to just stay alive within their own state. So uh, within this, there are kind of two sects. So there is the uh, offensive side, and that seeks to basically uh, create Chinese power for itself and then use that power to uh, exert its will as it desires around the world. Um, and then there's the defensive side. I guess before moving on to the defensive side, I should say the offensive side is, is pretty okay. Uh, if if possible, if needed, uh, they're okay with uh, using military force to exert their will uh, or to coerce or do whatever they need to do uh, that suits their interest. Um, <clears throat> on the defensive side, uh, it's basically the same premise as the kind of starting point with realism, but with uh, the defensive side, they're not really looking to go on sort of offensive uh, conquering style um, escapades, I guess. They're, they understand the power game in the same way. They just don't think it makes sense uh, to militarily exert yourself 
uh, to get what you want. They're much more likely to kind of keep the powder keg dry and uh, either work through some sort of diplomatic uh, solution or some sort of uh, subversive solution to get uh, Chinese interests accomplished. Um, as a whole, this uh, school basically has some resentments about the past. They have a little bit of a victimhood mentality um, where they see that China was sort of exploited and taken advantage of when it was weak. Uh, and so, um, you know, they're a little upset about that, kind of have a chip on their shoulder on it. Uh, so kind of makes sense why China is the way it is, given that this is the dominant school and they have that uh, kind of real politic and chip on the shoulder mentality. Um, the next is the major power school. So the point with this school is they want to primarily focus first and foremost on the relationships that China has with other major powers, uh, those powers being the United States, uh, Europe, and Russia. Uh, their point is that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of whole bunch of countries that we can engage with, but ultimately the, the ones with uh, the most power, i.e. biggest economy and biggest military, especially with uh, nukes, they want to get those relationships right. So it's pretty pragmatic and uh, it just kind of says, hey, look, you know, whether we're for or against, we need to be focusing on them. Uh, the next school is the Asia First school. And what they're really thinking about is, look, we want to stabilize our own neighborhood first. We have all these countries that surround us. We want to make sure they're stable and that we have, uh, you know, a working relationship with them that suits our interest. Um, and so rather than focus on countries that are, you know, have a global way, they just kind of want to take care of their own backyard. Um, I should note that they had made some good inroads with this um, up until about 2009. That's uh, when kind of like the more hardline um, way of thinking kind of took over. And then obviously in 2012, I believe it was 2012 when she, uh, Jinping came in that this was really kind of done. But the point is that, um, you know, the backyard of China is not super down with China exerting its hegemonic will on them. And so uh, there's not as much stability in the region as a result. So anyway, kind of, uh, kind of less of a goal at this point, although they still want to uh, take care of what's around them, obviously for security reasons. The next is the global South school. So in, in this um, China basically focuses on the developing world. That's, that's what their primary focus is. Uh, they see the developing world. You kind of look at this, I think, in in one way as like, a, you know, a sense of justice. And then another is, um, I think, just a little bit more cynical. But the sort of just justice oriented one looks at the poor countries around the world and says, hey, look, you know, we need to help them develop uh, and we need to re redistribute uh, global wealth to them. And um, basically what that looks like is uh, using U.N., funds and g20 funds to uh basically like pay these guys um and again you know on the humanitarian side it's to pay them and help them but the cynical side is we're just going to bribe them with money to get them on our side um so this is also kind of like where BRICS comes in uh or some of their more um I guess, soft power techniques uh BRICS for anyone that doesn't know stands for brazil russia india china South Africa, but it's a coalition of countries that are kind of coming together to kind of, you know, multilaterally achieve their interests. Um, so anyway, that's kind of the point is just to focus on the developing countries, get them on their side. I think you see a lot of stuff with like why uh, they're in, you know, China's in uh, Africa 
you know, for example, is probably part of this strategy. Uh, Africa, and then also kind of in the rest of the global south side of things. Um, the last one is called, uh, or sorry, there's two more, um, but the next one is called selective multilateralism. Uh, this basically argues against any sort of participation or real focus in international institutions. The point being that uh, for two reasons, one, uh, people in this camp see, um, you know, they, they want to focus internally. They don't want to focus externally and lose control of what's happening within China. So that's one motivation. And then number two is they see international institutions, particularly like the UN, uh, World Bank, World Trade Organization, et cetera, as ways to entangle China in kind of a Western trap where they're basically entangled and can't really maneuver for their own interests because they're beholden to all these other uh, codependent interests. And so their point is like, look, we just don't want to get involved here in this overarching third party way. Let's just you know, selectively make deals and, and negotiations uh, with countries on a case by case basis. So it's a more surgical approach uh, to international relations. Uh, and then the last is the, the, the globalist school. So this is basically the same as, you know, the globalist, what's called the globalist um, is better known, I think, uh, by, uh, you know, in, in the actual group of people who are self-describing themselves, they would call themselves liberal internationalists. So they're kind of the same in China as they are here in the United States. The point is to focus on kind of like humanitarian goals, uh, interdependence, international organizations and, and structures of governance to kind of keep everybody playing by a set of the rules and, and in check. Um, and from what I gathered in my research, this is basically not a goal. It's really not a, um, a motivating co group in China anymore. People are not looking to be globalist or uh, liberal internationalist in China anymore. Uh, okay, so anyway, that's kind of like the seven schools. And uh, again, the thing to pay attention to, I guess, at this point in time is that realism is the dominant school. Uh, that's kind of how China looks at the world. Uh, and the others really aren't, uh, aren't nearly as prevalent as they were once before. Um, okay, thanks. We'll do another one soon.